Um, hey, we, we've been, we've kind of been in this series over the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about uh, we, we had to have a Savior. Like there was, there was no way for us to have a relationship with God if we do not have a Savior. And Christmas is a reminder that Jesus came on a rescue mission for us. This is a season that is really for us because it's a reminder that had he not come and had he not given his life for us and had he not resurrected from the dead, there is no relationship between us and God. We would be sacrificing animals in our backyard. How many of you know that HOA would have a hard time with that? But what we know is that Jesus is, he came to a manger and he ruled from a manger, not from a throne. This baby was more than just a baby. It was the very face of God. The very little tiny hands that Mary would have grabbed, just like we would do with our babies, were the very hands that would take the nails that would be driven through them 33 years later. That out of those hands and out of those precious little feet, blood would flow. The very blood that would be shed, not spilt, that's an accident, but shed to cover the sins of us. Y'all, it was a rescue mission. It, was, it came for us. He came to do what you and I could not do. He came so that we could have a right relationship with the Father, that we would be declared righteous. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. He, he, took, he took that weight on. And when we're talking about this series of God has come to a, to a rescue mission, you remember in week one we talked about God has to come to break us from our traditions. Like we get caught up in religious traditions that if we do this and we need to do that. And, and what happens is, is when we get caught up so much in these traditions, we lose sight of what the season is really about. And so in week one, we, we just kind of repositioned ourselves to say that God wants to save us from all of these traditions. And then, you know, last week we, we talked again just about being rescued. And it's this whole theme of rescued from a broken world. Because how many of you know we live in a very broken world? broken world. Um, here's the thing, like we can try to patch it and fix it with, with our self-help and, and all these things, but there's only one thing that's going to fix the world, and that is Jesus. And, and we can miss that again because they missed it in the first century. The, the Jewish people missed it because just not, not in Jerusalem, not on the Temple Mount, but in this small forgotten little town called Bethlehem, this baby was born that everybody just kind of walked past. Nobody really had anything to do with it, but they would see him again in a few years when he would rightfully be lifted up on the cross and would make the news in the city of Jerusalem and all throughout Israel and all throughout the world. This morning, I want to talk to you that, you know, as Jesus has come, and the Bible says in John chapter one, he came to take on flesh, the incarnate, right? He, he's, he's not just a floating spirit. Jesus was a real person with real flesh, real blood, real emotions. He was a real person who, who walked on this earth to live among us, is what John says. And he was walking for this rescue mission. And today I, I want to talk to you on this thought of he came to rescue us from condemnation because we, we have all fallen into that trap. Some of, us, some of you are there now. And I'm just going to tell you up front today, you're going to be set free from that, that there's a stronghold that has on your life when you walked into this place today, that's going to be gone because we're going to let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit is going to do. 
So my prayer for you this morning is that whatever is said from this mouth right here translates somewhere here and the Spirit filters it and hits it into your heart so that you can be released of those things today and realize that a part of why he came was not to bring condemnation but to give you life. We were reminded this morning in our prayer time that in John chapter 10, the Bible says that he came, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his life mission for you. But Jesus has come to bring life and life everlasting. So this week, we're looking at what it means to be, to be rescued. Now, if we talk about the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, here's the things you need to understand. The thief always wants to attack three things. This is what he does. The thief always wants to attack the word of God. He will do everything he can to twist this book. There are translations of this book to help fill the void of what other people's philosophies and beliefs are. That There's not just the Bible, but there's the Bible plus. And, and you can add whatever you want to the Bible. It's no longer the Bible at that point. God did not need us adding our opinion to this word, right? And so the first thing the enemy wants to do is he'll take the word of God and he'll begin to attack it and, and, and make you question things and make you see things differently that's not from the spirit to where this book right here becomes just another book on the shelf because we don't even believe it anymore because we have our own philosophies. This is why the Bible talks about that there's going to come a day where people will buy into the false teachings because they just want things to tickle their ears. And that's an attack on the word of God. He will also attack the work of God. That's you. But he will come under attack and, and quest, make you question yourself. He'll have you thinking that maybe I don't need to do this. He will attack the work of God. And then he will also attack the worth of God. He will attack your worship. Because he will make you so ungrateful for the things. You'll begin complaining about the very things that you prayed and asked God to give you the blessings for. You ever had that? Like You, you have these moments where I've, I've prayed and I've asked God and God blesses you with that. And then you find yourself complaining about it, not happy with it, ungrateful for it. This is, these are all attacks of the enemy. I, I think part of our issue is our perspective is wrong, that we just think that people are sick because they're sick, and that's life. We think that people go through things because that's just life. It is not the way God designed it. We call that spiritual attack. So let's call it what it is. What we see in our nation is spiritual attack. What we see in our homes is spiritual attacked and we're not void from that we're all have tar we walk around with targets on our backs you know what that feels like i mean you want to be able to sit in a movie theater and think somebody's out to get me constantly because the enemy is out to get you constantly and he, he's always looking to attack the word of god the work of god and the worth of god he wants to get your worship and this is the spiritual attack this is the method of the enemy now listen the enemy has schemes and he has tricks, right? He knows how to bait you. When you go fishing, there's certain lures that you'll use for certain fish. I, I haven't figured out what those are yet because I don't think fish like anything that I throw out there. Um, they always say fishing is, is one jerk on one end waiting on a jerk on the other end. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And that's kind of how I have felt. But here's what I want you to know. He has his, his schemes and his tricks. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you've given your life to Christ, and you've surrendered to his lordship, he cannot overtake you. But sometimes we act like he's taken us, and we have been held captive. He has no dominion over us. He cannot take us. We are not the possession of the enemy. If you are a child of God, you are his perfect possession. Okay. Amen? Okay, we'll make sure you hear me, because a lot of times we get so caught up. 
Now, now why, why is it that I can say that the enemy can't overtake us? He can't take, he can tempt us, he can use his schemes, he can disrupt our life, but why can he not overtake us? Well, look what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2. He says this, and you who were dead, by the way, anybody know who that is? That's us before Jesus, right? You were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses. God has forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He's saying that there was a law. There were things that a debt that we could not pay, that our account was continually going over. We were overdrafting the account because there was nothing we could do to pay for the sin. And it says that we couldn't meet the legal demands, but look at this. He says in verse 14, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He took your, net, your debts and he nailed it to the cross. He said, this is paid in full. And not only did he do that, but listen to this. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame. You know who that is? That's the enemy. That is the devil that he is saying that he has disarmed that guy. That, that he has been disarmed, the rulers and authorities, and he put him to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He has no, no possession over you. He's been disarmed. He has his schemes, but you remember, just like fishing is catch and release. He's going to pull you in with what he can. He's going to try to destroy you. He's going to try to do everything he can to get our eyes off of those three things of the word, the work, and the worth of God. And he's going to do all those things to pull you from that. And then he'll start doing this thing when he loves to accuse people. You ever had that little voice in your head feeling like you were, there were accusations being made against you that just weren't true? But you begin to buy into it? I mean, his name means the accuser. This is what he's good at. This is his, his job title. If we took the, the resume of the devil himself, and he brought us his resume this morning, there's two key things that are going to stick out. He is the father of lies. He invented it. He's a master at it, and he will lie to you. And then he will be an accuser because that's what he is in nature, is an accuser to try to get you to believe that things aren't real, that things aren't, God isn't what, who God is. You remember in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve takes the bite of the fruit before she bites into that. She begins telling and repeating to him what the word of God says. And, and, he, and then the enemy tells her this, did God really mean that? begins to put the doubt in there. Well, did, did he? Was it just this tree, or did he mean maybe not this, this specific branch? Maybe I can have this type of fruit. Maybe he was just saying I couldn't have things that weren't gluten-free, or maybe this is vegan, or like, what is it? And they begin to doubt, and then she makes an awful mistake with Adam standing right there watching this all unfold. And that's how we ended up where we are. He's an accuser. One of the biggest lies that he keeps telling us is your past defines you. Your damaged goods. Nobody wants you. Nobody wants to have anything to do with you. Nobody, no, if, if people only knew who you really were, they would never talk to you. They'd never have anything to do if they could get inside your mind and, and know what you think in your private times and what you do in your private times away from everybody else. And, and he'll get in there and he'll begin to try to convince you that you'll never live up to God's standards. You'll get into a life group and you'll, the first thing you'll do is take off because you'll feel like you're way too transparent. And, and if people knew who I was in here, I'm not going to say anything. Then we'll come in here and we'll, we'll live the, the Christian life and we'll sing the, the Christian karaoke and we'll listen to a message and we'll take some notes and then we'll walk out of here. And then that voice will begin to hit of who do you think you are? What are you doing? Sometimes some of you want to worship. You want to put your hands up, but you don't put your hands up because the moment you do, you hear that voice that says, what in the world are you doing? Do you not know who you were? 
Do you know what you did outside of here? That is the voice of the accuser. And for some of us, we listen to that voice for so long that we come into this setting or we come into a life group setting or a deep group setting, and it has become the natural response to the mighty God because the enemy is convinced that his voice was louder. And by the way, we don't judge about how high your hands are lifted in here. It's not about how high you can lift your hands, all right? It's about how humble you can be towards the Father. That's where it is. So raise your hands, run the aisle, keep your snakes at home, but everything else, we're good. But the enemy brings this, condem this condemnation. You have it. I'll have this on every Sunday morning, about 10 minutes before I step up here, the voice will begin going through my head. It'll begin to attack. What are you doing? Oh, people don't know who you are. Well, this message is going to bomb Nobody's going to respond. What if nobody shows? Remember the first Sunday we launched the church, this was the fight that I was going, nobody's going to show up. And then people did. And you would think, all right, you should be good, but the next weekend, you know what my, my brain said? Nobody's going to show up. I'm not good enough. I didn't preach good enough. This wasn't good enough. We didn't, the service wasn't good. The paint didn't look good. The chair was uncomfortable. The blah, 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 blah. You know what got lost in all of that is the message of what God wanted it to be preached in the place. Because there's an accuser, there's a voice that, I, that I'll struggle with. And just confession is that I'll struggle with this is, I am not good enough to do this. And that's the enemy trying to disarm me. But he's forgotten that he has been disarmed by the word of God. That's the same thing for your life. That you think nobody listens to you, that your witness isn't good enough and you can't do the things that, that, like, these are just disciples. I mean, Peter, he's, he's a disciple. He was an apostle. That's not me. But let me tell you something. The same Holy Spirit that we read about in the Scripture is the same Holy Spirit that is available to us today. But we've allowed the enemy to even accuse us of that. It's weird. We shouldn't do that because it's not normal. Listen, nothing in the kingdom of God is normal. We are called to be abnormal. You can call it weird. I call it spirit-filled because he wants to do a work. And so when the enemy gets in, he'll convince you of all these things that aren't true. He'll get in. He'll start to accuse. He'll begin to condemn. And he'll do what he does for me that I can promise you he's probably already doing to you. Am I right? You feel it. Some of you felt it this morning when you walked in here. Some of you were out of place. I don't even know if I should come to church today. I had, that was the week that I had. I don't even think I should be in this place. Some of you are contemplating quitting your life group. Some of you are contemplating quitting serving because the enemy is so loud in your ear. So loud. So much condemnation. In Romans chapter 7, Paul, in the first six chapters of Romans, Paul shows us the impact of sin on humanity. He, he's shown us that they're only free from the power and the penalty of sin because of what Jesus has done. And he ends chapter 6 with this. He says that you're no longer a slave to sin, and you have this gift of eternal life. And then in chapter 7, Paul decides that he's, he's given them a pretty hard theological lesson for six chapters. And then in chapter 7, Paul does something different. 
Paul drops this on them in, in the first six verses in chapter 7. He says it's not about keeping a bunch of rules. It's about the relationship that we have with Jesus. Because the reason that, that you, you keep the law is not I don't keep the law so that God's not mad at me, but I want to keep the relationship established. So I, I love God, so I don't want to do these things, right? Um, it's just like a marriage. Uh, do, do, you, do you need to go on dates in your marriage? Do you need to do, spend some one-on-one time with your wife? Absolutely, if you want the marriage to last and be healthy, right? And, and why don't you do dumb things to jeopardize the marriage? Because you love your spouse. And when that relationship is damaged, it, it all goes, goes awry. And, and what he says here is, in, in these first six verses, is that when you have a relationship with Jesus, your desires change. I don't want to do those things. Every once in a while, things will creep up. But overall, there's just this desire. The closer you get to Jesus, the more the desire changes to not want to do things to destroy the relationship with him. You, you following me? And this is, this is what he's saying. I'm just summarizing. In verses 7 through 13, he says he doesn't, it doesn't matter how hard you try to keep the law, but you keep breaking it. And how many times have you come in here and you're like, I'm not going to do that anymore, and then you leave here and you do that thing again, right? I'm going to, God, today I'm going to drive at 5 o'clock, on I-26 at the interchange, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to worship music, and I'm going to pray and fast, and I'm not going to flip anybody off. I'm not going to say words that are unkind. And then you get to 26, and the enemy, the flesh, takes over because somebody cut you off in traffic. Anybody? And then you get to the other side of that going, oh, my gosh, I said I would never do that again. I gave into the flesh. Depending on the church tradition that you grew up in, you, you had a set of rules. We called it sin management. I just try to manage my sin. That's dangerous. I'll do, I'll do this. If I do this, then God's going to love me a little bit more. Work-based. If I do these things, God loves me more. And so we have sin management. For us in Dillon, it was um, good Christians don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. That was our philosophy. <laughs> Uh, the only problem with that was the only girls in Dillon were girls that chewed. And so, and I know before you start casting judgment, my wife is not from Dillon. So I had to go outside to bring her in. She don't chew or smoke or drink. It's sin management. The, the gospel is not God is good, you are bad, try again next week. The gospel is Jesus has done what you can't do for yourself. It's all good. Stop trying. Just surrender. When I was, went to lifeguard training, um, they would teach you that when people are drowning, the role of the lifeguard is to jump into the pool and guard the life of the person that's drowning. And the lifeguard does all the work. But typically what happens when you jump into a pool or an ocean when somebody's drowning, they're like all over the place. They actually teach you that if they keep doing that, that it's okay to punch them in the nose. Like that's a legitimate thing because if I punch you in the nose, you're, you automatically do this. You stop doing all this, right? God never gave me that opportunity. <laughs> but the more that person struggles the harder it is to, to be saved. 
because you're trying to do all the right things, but you don't know how to swim. That's what got yourself in this predicament to start with, or you got into the riptide because you didn't follow the signs. But the moment of surrender, the lifeguard can pull you and do what only he can do. Some of us, we just, we look like the inflatable, wacky arm man. And, and God's just saying, if you will just surrender and trust me on this, it's, it's going to be good. But you're trying too much. You're trying to do what you can't do. So then we get into verse chap, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. And Paul starts, this is kind of like a, a confession of a pastor right here. Look, look at the things that Paul's going to say in these next few verses. He says this in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. But Paul goes, I know it's spiritual, but I'm of the flesh. Sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. Have anybody asked that question to yourself lately? Like, I do not understand. Thank you. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. I don't want to do this anymore. But then I do it. Have you done something and somebody asked you, what in the world were you thinking? Where was your thought process? Help me understand. Why would you do that? And it might be something so innocent, but it might be something that has cost you everything. Because you didn't want to do that, but you did it anyway. And Paul says, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Why don't we ever see that on a Christian t-shirt? Because it's a struggle. And this is Paul bearing himself out there. Because like we'll come in here and we'll hear the message and we say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then we leave and we do that thing, right? Paul's being confessional. Look what he continues to say in 16. Now, if I, this is where it gets confusing. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. What Paul's saying here, to summarize it very quickly, is we are not, we're not born primarily good. Like, we did not come out of the womb saying, please, thank you, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, right? We didn't come out going, I want to share everything that I have with everybody, if you, if you guys go over to our kids' area, what we're trying to teach them is how to do those things, right? Like, you have spent more time teaching your kid how to share and how to keep their hands to themselves than you have any other thing. Because it's not natural for them to go, I should be nice. I'm, I'm going to give, this is my last whatever snack your kid eats. I'm going to give them the rest of my goldfish because I just want them to have it because I love them so much. That's the way it goes in your house, right? Not mine either. It's like, no, you're not touching. I know that I have this massive bowl of goldfish, but I'm not sharing it with you because these are mine. That's the work of the flesh. You know what's sad? Uh, we do that as adults. We have this bowl of resources just all for ourselves. You can't have it. This is mine. Because it's the sinful part of us, the flesh. It's us. And Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. He says, I have, I have the desire to do what's right. We all want to do what's right, right? I hope. We all have this desire to do what's right. 
but we don't have the ability to carry that out. Because our sin nature is like, you don't want to do that. It's okay to tell that lie. It's fine. It's okay to spread that, that rumor. It's, it's totally cool. I mean, you guys been there? I just want to make sure I'm not talking to myself. But, but have you, you, ever, you ever broken a promise to God? God, I promise I'll never do that again. And then you find yourself doing that again. It's like, God, why, why I didn't want to? And we, and we say that we're not. So there, there's, there's, this, <laughs> there's this part where we break promises. God, there's parts where we break promises to ourselves. I'm not going to sleep with her anymore. I'm not going to drink that anymore. I'm not going to go on those websites anymore. I'm not going to participate in that lifestyle anymore. And as Paul's looking at his life, he sees that his desires are changing from the inside out. We're too busy trying to change from the outside in. Because you can look the part. But God had some words for those too. Jesus talked about the, the teachers of the law. Called them snakes. Broad of vipers. Sons of Satan. He called their mamas devils. His sharpest words were at the ones that had it all put together on the outside, but on the inside, he's like, it, it doesn't. We're going to talk about that next week. But we break these promises, and Paul says it's, it's changing from the inside. In verse 19, he says, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. It's a struggle. We, we, every one of us can say that. You have good intentions this holiday season when you go sit around the table with some family that have absolutely hurt you and stabbed you. Am I right? And you have good intentions that you're just going to, I'm going to be the bigger person. And then a comment is said. And then you no longer become the bigger person in the room. Because now you've got to tell them what it really is. He says, now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He says, something's going on in my heart that doesn't line up with what I know that I believe about God's word. There's a disconnect from what my heart feels and what God is saying. It is this translation issue that, that I'm having. And he's bearing his soul. He's saying, there's a war that's going on inside of me. And I've recognized this war inside of me. And he's bearing his soul. Then he makes this, he does a little bit di diagnostics here. Because look what he says in the next verse. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being at church, on a mission trip, when you serve, during your quiet time. He says, but I see in my members another law that's waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And this is Paul's conclusion. He said, wretched man that I am. Now, we are wretched. Would we agree with that? We are depraved. We will, our propensity is to do wrong. Our hearts are bad. We never want to trust our hearts. We are wretched. But hey, that's not the whole story. That's the story that some of you have put the period on and you've closed it, but there's a comma there. There's, there's another part of the story. You might be wretched, but God has come to save you from that. that. That's the better part of the story. The enemy wants us to put the exclamation point right there and say, yep, you're wretched, you're awful, you're condemned, you can't do this, get a life, don't worry about it, 
because you never will amount to anything. That is not the gospel of Jesus. That is not. It's the gospel of Satan. And it's not the whole story because the enemy wants to stop us right there and dwell, have us dwell and just sit. Some of us are just soaking in our disappointment and we're soaking in, in, in what the mistakes that we've made. We're soaking in our past and we can't seem to get past it because we're just sitting in it. Because we have said this is our story. That is not the story of the gospel. The gospel's resurrection. It's, it's redefining your past. It's not allowing your past to define you. It, the, your, what you've done in your past becomes a tapestry in the bigger story of what God's going to do to redeem you. So the primary lie of the enemy is to shackle you in your sin and your shame so you cannot walk. And some of us do it in a very zombie-like state that we don't even realize it. But that's where we are. The enemy weighs us down with these labels, and we call it condemnation. Let me give you three quick definitions of what, what the, the dictionary has to say about what the word condemnation means. To, to condemn means that it's to express complete disapproval of, typically in public, right? We, we see this with criminals. We, we condemn them to whatever their prison sentences are. Or condemnation can mean this as well, is that a sentence or someone to a particular punishment, especially death. Or condemnation can mean unfit for use. Because the enemy wants you to think that you're defined by your past and you're no good because you're just damaged goods. Damaged goods. But the good news of the gospel <laughs> preaches a completely different word. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7. Who? Because you've got to start with that question. Because you can't do it. When you come to the point to realize, I can't do that. I cannot save myself. There's nothing I can do. Then you have to ask the question, who? And Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You ready? Because he runs out of space. He's got to start a new chapter with the next thing that he's going to say. But listen to what Paul says in this next verse in, in Romans chapter 8, 1. He says, there is therefore now, right this second, right this moment, not a little bit, not some, not a lot. He says, right now, there is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Whatever label you've decided to walk with, whatever you have decided, this is who I am because that's what the enemy has accused me of. The Bible says, you are not condemned if you're in Jesus Christ. That has been taken away. Right now, in this, right, in, in this second, it has been done. That is the work of the cross, everybody. That's what defines us. See, the enemy tries to slap condemnation on you because that's what he wants to define you as, is, is your brokenness. But Jesus is trying not to define you by your scars. He's defining you by his scars. And there's a big difference. And Jesus says that you, you're actually going to be the temple of God. That this wretched life, this wretched person that you are, the Holy Spirit wants to dwell within you and purify you and make you righteous. Jesus came to set us free from condemnation. He says, therefore, was therefore, what therefore is what Christ did on our behalf. We couldn't do it. This is one of the hardest things when you're discipling somebody and pastoring people. One of the hardest things. You can lead them, but you can't carry them. 
I can try, I would love, if I could right now and just pray, and then everybody's life, you would be a follower of Jesus and you would be 100% committed and surrendered your life. I would do that, but I can't. And one of the most frustrating things is when you're trying to walk with people and you can't quite get them over it because they've bought in to the lie. And they don't realize what Jesus did on your behalf. The cross defines us because it tells the story that Jesus did what we could not do so that we didn't have to face condemnation, so that we could have a right relationship with you. He says, therefore, is what Christ did on our behalf now. He says, not when you get it together, but right now. Why do we not wait until we get it together? Because we're never going to get it together. We will be flapping our arms, drowning, because we're never going to get it together. This means that no matter what you struggle with and no matter what you've done, you can be set free in Christ. I want to read Romans chapter 8 to you. It's not on the screen. I just want you to, to hear what he says. He says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free. You're free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God, listen to this, for God has done what the law could not do, the rules. God did what the rules could not do, what the law could not do. Weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to our flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. And for those who live according to flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and is peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to his law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't do it. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, you listening to me? I'm going to say it one more time. But if Christ is in you, one more time, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. You have been declared righteous. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit that dwells in you. What is Paul saying? You can be set free through Christ. The baggage you brought in, brought in today, you can just leave that at baggage claim. We'll get rid of that. He's going to take care of all that mess. He's going to get rid of it. I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable in these next few moments because I, I, believe, I believe, I've been praying all week. We prayed this morning. I believe the Spirit is speaking to people right now because that's what he does. That's his job. It's, the voice you hear is not a voice of condemnation. It's a voice of conviction. Because that's what he does. He convicts us of our sins. 
The Bible says this in James chapter 5. It says, is, is anyone among you suffering? I, I, I won't ask you to answer that question. I'll answer it for you. There's some people in here struggling. You're suffering. Life has kicked you right in the gut over the last month or couple of weeks or this past year. You've been kicked and had the breath knocked out of you. Am I speaking to somebody this morning? James, is anybody suffering? If so, let him pray. Let him pray. Is anybody cheerful? We got the people in the valley. We got the people on the mountaintops. If you're cheerful, let them sing. Let them sing praise. Even if it's off key, sing. Is there anybody among you sick? I'll answer that question for you too. Yeah. There's some true sicknesses that are in there. There's some diagnoses in this place. There's some true sicknesses in this place. Physical. There's also spiritual sicknesses in this place. You've drifted so far. What does he say? He says, if there's anybody among you that's sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There's some of you sick this morning. You need to come and be prayed over. You need to be anointed with the oil this morning. And he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. There are people in this room, all of us, that need to confess. There's confessions that needs to happen this morning of our sins that we've committed. The Bible tells us that if, we're, if we will confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive those sins. So you don't have to come expecting that you're going to be condemned by God, that he's just going to look at you and shake his head as you just tell him. No, no, no. He's going to pull you into his lap, and he's going to hug you as you cry and confess. And he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Some of you have gone through this for years, for years. And we've come to moments like right now where the Spirit has moved and is speaking to you and asking you to move, to take steps. And you've allowed the enemy to keep you in your seat. And you've gone on shackled and chained to whatever it is that you've been condemned of, whatever sickness that it is that has been in your life, whatever suffering that you're facing, you have allowed the enemy to win that. I'm telling you today, you have victory in Jesus. We will fight the enemy today. And how do we fight him? We fight him with prayer. Because God wants to heal. He wants to heal. He says that the, right, the, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. And you're probably sitting there right now thinking, I read that, I'm not righteous. Can I tell you something? If you're in Jesus, you have been declared righteous. It's not on your own doing. You have been declared righteous. Not because of your right activity, not because of anything outside of the fact that it was the work of Jesus on the cross. He did the work, you got the credit. It's the one group project you didn't have to do anything in. 
that you got the same credit as everybody else. So you have right standing before Jesus. If you know him, you're in heaven, your testimony is I'm with him. And in just a minute, what we're going to do is we're going to do exactly what this book says. We're going to confess our sins. Rob, you asked me to be real vulnerable. No, I'm just asking you to be obedient to the word of God if you say that I'm, I'm a believer. That's all I'm asking you. Some of you in this room, you've never surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus. You're, you know right now, you have no relationship with him. Today that can change. Because in just a minute, no matter what your sin is, you do not have to fake it. A real Jesus died on a real cross for a real you. Not the fake you, the real you. We've set up a couple of ways for you to respond to this this morning. You've already been prayed over. That the Spirit would guide your feet to walk in the direction that it needs to walk. To get some of these years of struggles and sicknesses and suffering off of you. To get the voice of condemnation off of you. We're going to have a team. I'm going to ask them to come forward. We've got a group of people who want to pray over you, pray for you this morning. Anoint you with oil. For some of you, there's... And we're going to pray for healing for your sickness because I believe that God still heals people. The Bible says it will do it until he says don't. Confession is one of those things, it's like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can confess things. We put a cross in the back of this room and there are papers and you, can, you don't have to write your name, but you can just write, you can write your confession, God, I, I repent, I repent of this. And you can pin it to that cross because, hey, he already took that to the cross and he's already taken that. But we confess our sin. We have communion set up underneath the cross that you can take remembering that Jesus came to do what I could not do, to die in my place so that I could have a relationship with God. So we're going we're gonna to sing. And what I'm going to ask for you to do is to be obedient to what the Spirit is telling you right now. Do not let the enemy win today. Be set free. Be set free. Jesus, right now in this moment, there's, there are two voices in this room right now. God, one of those voices is the voice of the accuser trying to hold us down, trying to keep us in a place that God, we've not been able to get out of, that we've tried everything that we know to try, but it's you right now in this moment that want to pull us out of those situations, pull us out of that place. And the enemy wants nothing more but to keep us here. And there's a voice of an accuser in this place right now that's going to keep people from responding. I pray right this second that that voice is muted, that we turn it off. The other voice is that of your spirit speaking life and encouragement and guidance. And I pray that's the voice, that the, the volume knob would be turned up so loud that we would be obedient in this moment. There are people right now, God, in just a second, their lives are going to be healed. 
Their sins are going to be forgiven. Their sicknesses are going to fall off. God, their suffering is going to be put in a perspective that you're going to do something. You're going to work in them. God, that their, their life's going to be changed. They're going to look a lot more like you than they did when they came into this place today. But God, it happens through obedience. And I pray right now, God, right now that we would move. Right now, if you need to move, come forward. Don't let the spirit hold you. Don't let, don't let the, the enemy hold you back. Come forward right now. Let's pray. Let's pray for you. Go to the cross right now and confess your sin. Go take communion right now and break bread. Do not let the enemy hold you back. Father, we are free in you. Free to you. Work in this moment. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.